Isn't it great when we come to the house of the Lord, right? Isn't it great when we come together to worship God in spirit and truth? For all of our visitors that are with us today, you are our honored guest. If there's any questions that you have uh, after our worship service, and uh, I would pray that you would, uh, I would ask that you would uh, stick around, let us know the questions that you have, let us answer them for you. Maybe our worship service may be a little bit different than you're used to, but I can tell you one thing, it's scriptural. This is how the Lord commands us to worship. We worship Him in spirit and truth, with the right heart condition, with the right mindset, and according to the command of His Word. And so, this morning, if you look on the screen behind me, we're talking about righteousness. But Dave, didn't we talk about righteousness last week? And you're right, we did talk about righteousness last week. But today we're going to talk about it, we're going to take it one step further. Last week, if you remember, I spoke about how um, you know, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We talked about what is righteousness and hungering and thirsting for it in a spiritual sense. But today we're going to take it a step further and we're going to look to answer the question, how does, what does righteousness have to do with our relationships, right? How does, what does righteousness have to do with the relationships we have with the government, the relationships we have with our neighbor, the relationships we have with Christ? And so we're going to look to answer a few questions here uh, this morning. And so this week, I want us to take it a step further, as I said, and really look, to, uh, look at righteousness in a different way, maybe a way that you're not commonly used to looking at it. But before we do, just as a reminder from last week, what is righteousness, right? Righteousness is simply what? It's simply being right with God. Well, how is it that we can become right with God? We submit to God. We, uh, we submit to God and we take his moral standard and we make it our standard. And we submit to him and we obey God in all things. That's why in Romans it talks about how we were sanctified, how we were justified, right? It talks about these things because that is how we are sanctified and justified in Christ, by, being, by believing, by, be, uh, by trusting, and by obeying all that God requires of us. And so here this morning I want us to look at how relationships... Uh, are transformed through righteousness. How is it that us uh, submitting to God, how is it that us shining the light of Christ can strengthen and further relationships? Well, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to the people of Rome, did he not? And in Romans chapter 13, we're going to start and we're going to look at maybe this first one when it comes to government. Because notice what the Apostle Paul had to say. He said, be subject to government. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those who exist are established by God. Well, to understand Romans 13 and verse 1, we, we first must understand why the letter of Rome uh, was written, right? The letter of Rome uh, to the Romans was written about righteousness, how we could be justified in the sight of God. To be justified simply means to be made right in the sight of God. Well, we know that sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. So what does righteousness do? Righteousness brings us back into relationship to God when we submit to his moral standards, when we, uh, when we enact the plan of salvation for our lives, and we do all that's required of us. Jesus says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Well, what does that mean? It means that Jesus tells us that we have to submit to all that is required of us. Jesus preached the words that he preached, but they weren't his words. They were the fathers who sent him. 
So for us to be brought back into a right relationship, for us to be considered righteous or blameless before God, we have to submit to the will of God. We have to do all that God requires of us. You read the scriptures and you hear about people like Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? John's parents. We read about Mary. We read about Abraham. We read about other individuals. And about many of them, it says they were blameless. They were blameless before the Lord. It doesn't mean that they were perfect. It doesn't mean that they never sinned. It means that they walked in the commandments of the Lord. And when they stumbled or when they transgressed a commandment of the Lord, they did all that was in their power to do what? To turn away from the sin, to make it right, and to make sure that uh, they brought themselves back into relationship with the Lord. Uh, and so you look at the scriptures here this morning, and we're going to look to uh, have a deeper understanding of righteousness and how ultimately uh, righteousness is about right relationships. It's a right relationship with God, which in turn causes us to have a right relationship with others. And so as I looked at Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, we know that one of the first examples we look at is, is in regards to the government, right? But notice what it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. That was Romans 13. But in Romans 1, 16 and 17, we see why this letter was written. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to ensure that all those who believe, to the Jew first, as well as the Greek, as well as the Gentile, for in it, meaning the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith alone. Brethren, you look at this. What is faith? You guys have heard me say this a thousand times. I'm going to ask you to say this audibly with me. It's okay. I'm giving you permission to talk. What is biblical faith? It's made up of three things. It's... Right? So you think about that. Belief, trust, obedience. Why is that considered uh, biblical faith? Because that's what the scriptures teach. You've got to hear the word, determine if you believe it. Romans 10 and 17 tells us that. So you've got to determine if you believe it. And if you do believe it, then you've got to trust in the promises of God. You've got to submit to God's moral standard. You've got to submit to all that's commanded to us. And so what do we do? We submit to the governing authorities. Why? Because there is no governing authorities outside of God. We talked about Romans chapter 13 a minute ago. We looked at Romans chapter 1. God has done his part in making man righteous, has he not? Isn't that where Jesus comes in? Isn't that where the cross comes in? Isn't that how Jesus is the fulfillment of the plan of salvation, right? Isn't that why we're buried in waters of baptism? We're buried into Jesus' death, and we're in the likeness of his resurrection. We too are raised to newness of life. And so, brothers and sisters, God has done his part. He has sent his son, for he loved us so much that he gave his son to be the propitiation of our sins, to be the payment for our sins, to shed his blood so we have an opportunity for the remission of sins. Brethren, now we must do our part. And our part is to maintain righteous living, to to maintain righteous lives. Righteousness is simply submitting to God to his moral standards, and all the while living, living your life as you trust in the promises of God. There's too many Christians who don't fully trust in the promises of God. And I say that because there's so many Christians who don't know if they're saved. They're in, they're out. They're in, they're out. They're in, they're out. What do I mean by that? 
They feel like that in, in, in any given day, I might be in heaven and I might be in hell, depending on the situation and the hour. Brethren, first, uh, first John, I think it's 3 and 17, tells us that we can know that we are saved. He says, I am writing these things to you so you can know that you're saved. You don't have to be wishy-washy. I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. You can know that you will be saved if you do what? If you walk blamelessly in the, in the sight of the Lord. That doesn't mean perfection, as I said, but it means that you strive to live according to God's moral standard, and when you sin, and you will, you repent. You turn back to God, you turn away from sin, and you basically bring yourself back into subjection of the Lord. Brethren, we know that 1 John tells us that as we sin and as we, uh, as we walk the Christian walk, that the blood of Jesus Christ continuously cleanses over us, doing what? Cleansing us from the iniquity that separates us from a holy and righteous God. And so, brothers and sisters, notice what the John had to say. Uh, John the Apostle, he wrote the th uh, three little letters, right? You got Big John and you got Little John. And in, in Little John, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7, notice what it says. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So the question then becomes this morning, how do we practice righteousness? Well, when we consider the righteousness of the gospel, it means maintaining good relationships Based on what? Based on God's standard and not man's. Why do we say that right living is based on God's standard and not man's standard? Have you noticed that man's standard is very different than God's standard? Have you noticed that with every generation, with every culture and every generation, man's standard is continuously changing, and yet God's standard, His word, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? You see, brethren, too often people will say, yeah, but Dave, the scriptures, you know, the New Testament, you know, Jesus, that was 2,000 years ago. Brother, in case you haven't noticed, things have changed a little bit. Society's changed a little bit. Well, when you go back and you really study out the scriptures, and if you really knew how to study the scriptures, what really's changed? What's really changed when it comes to man from 2,000 years ago to today? You know, have you ever read, when you go back and if you're reading out the Old Testament, and you come uh, uh, about uh, during the law, right? And I was just covering Leviticus, I'm in Numbers now. But just recently I was covering Leviticus and it was talking about a lot of the sins that are an abomination unto the Lord. Do you know the same sins that were an abomination to the Lord 3,500 years ago are the same sins we commit today? We just have more technology. So brethren, let's not pretend like you know, that, that we're so much different today than they were 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. We know that, brethren, that in order to be found blameless or righteous in the sight of God, we simply need to live according to His standard. Wasn't it the Jewish people that entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord, and so then their offspring were born into a covenant relationship? The people that are sitting in here today, if you're a baptized believer, a child of God, you have voluntarily given your life over to the Lord. So why would, you not walk, why would you not walk according to his moral standards? Why would you not walk and, look and strive to be found blameless in the eyes of God? So we're going to look at three aspects of righteousness this morning to see how it affects relationships. First with the government, then with, um, then with our neighbor, and then with Christ. And so as we looked at Romans 13 and 1 already, Ask yourself, why are we to submit to the governing authorities? Because God is behind the government. 
You guys remember the, uh, uh, back in Daniel in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, it talks about how God reigns within the kingdoms of men. And if God reigns in, is in, within the kingdom of men, and he rules within the kingdom of men, then Daniel chapter 4 makes a little bit more sense. And in case you don't remember Daniel chapter 4, there was a king, and the king was named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, he did what? He would look out over his kingdom and he would say, look at all I have done. Look at all I have accomplished. And then he was warned by a man of God to no longer look at all what he has done, but look at what God has allowed him to do. And so you see, he wouldn't heed the, uh, the, the, he wouldn't heed the words of the prophet. And so we know that in Daniel chapter 4, it tells us how God, after he went back and continued to all, look at all I have done and all I have accomplished, it says that God had brought him into submission. God had humbled him for seven years. And if you know the story, he made him live as a beast in the field for seven years, humbling himself until he was ready to call upon the name of the Lord. Until he was willing to admit that all he has is because God allows him to have it. Right? And so he was humbled in the sight of the Lord. There's another example of submitting, right? Uh, and understanding what is when we submit to government. You know, I think about um, uh, Daniel, right? Uh, I think about Daniel, and I think about the idea in the story about when, um, when he was commanded not to pray, right? There was the edict that went out from the king that they were to no longer pray for a period, I think it was 30 days. And yet, Daniel, he prayed three times a day. And so, it didn't matter what the edict came from God was, he was going to pray no matter what. And so, the thing that we need to understand is that when we consider righteousness of the gospel, it means that maintaining good relationships based on God's standards and not man's standards. And so when we get to the idea of those in, in, in society who want to resist the government authorities, uh, it, it equates to resisting God. If we're not going to be faithful and true citizens unto the law of the land, that's as if we are resistant to God and his standard as well. And so the only time that this changes is that when the governing authorities start to ask us to do things that are outside of their ability, when they try to take the place of God. So when the government's rules start to then uh, contradict or cause you to violate your faith, you no longer then submit to government, you submit to God. Why? Because in this next passage of Scripture... We study this on Wednesday night. We see in Acts chapter 5. Uh, where is it at? There? Acts, oh yeah, Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. What's going on here? Here we are. Acts chapter 5. I got it, Jim. Uh, Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Notice what it says. When Peter and the apostles were warned and threatened not to speak and teach in the name anymore, Peter responded that we must obey God rather than men. So this is such an important idea. Because yes, righteousness tells us we submit to the governing authorities up until the point that they ask us to do things that violate our faith. And so we see here the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, they were the, the apostles of Jesus Christ were commanded to no longer teach or preach in the name of Jesus Christ. But they said we must obey God rather than men. And then in Acts chapter 5, they not only warned them and threatened them, they took them out and they flogged them. That means they received 39 lashes with the whip. 
And what do we learn about that in Acts chapter 5? After their flogging, after being warned, Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. Where was he at the next day and the day after that and the day after that? He was back in the temple. Doing what? Preaching and teaching about Jesus. Brethren, we owe submit to the governing authorities up to the point they ask us to do things, do things that violate our faith. And we have the example of that in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Also, as, as I said earlier, and I, I took it out of order, but in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, remember, there was, the, there was the edict that went out from the king that they were not to pray anymore. But at this point, he's decided, no, I have to pray unto the Lord. And so he continued to go on, he continued to pray unto the Lord, even at the, um, knowing that what it was going to cost him, and knowing that it was going to potentially cost him his life. But he depended on God, and he put his faith in God and not in man. And so thankfully, brethren, we live in a nation where, for the most part, in our country, we can practice our faith without fear of retribution. But there's coming a time to where that's probably going to end in the near future. I say the near future because if you go over the last 10, 15, 20 years, what has been happening in our, in our nation? There's been more and more religious persecution. And that persecution isn't necessarily on all religions, but specifically on Christianity. The government's tar starting to change the rules a little bit. And just, just our neighbor across the, uh, across the river in Canada, right? You could be in Canada in, what, about 30 minutes from here? And did you know that Christian persecution is ramping up in Canada? They're arresting ministers who, uh, who dare to preach on things that the Bible uh, calls an abomination to God. And it has to do with the LGBTQIA. It has to do with other things that now it's considered hate speech. To preach the, to preach the gospel, to preach the, the commands of the Lord, and now in many nations around the world, it's considered hate speech. And our neighboring Canada is now in that boat. And so, brethren, we also know that, that here in America, there have been, in just the last 10 years, in different states, ministers who have been arrested for, them, for their uh, willingness to speak, about, speak out on what God teaches, even if it's contrary to what man teaches. And so, generally speaking, rulers over time throughout history are only a terror to those who do evil. Who do, to those who uh, do not do good. But if we do good, meaning we adhere to the laws of the land, then the government will not bother us. We see that in Scripture. That's why Jesus told them, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, give unto God that which is God's. And so Jesus was telling them to do what was it required of them. Brethren, if we do evil, if we sin in the eyes of the Lord, we should expect judgment. Not just in the eyes of the Lord, but if we do evil in the eyes of the government, and it's not something that causes us to violate our faith, we should expect judgment and, and uh, we should expect the sword. But we also know that we submit to governing authorities for conscience sake. What did James tell us in James chapter 4 and verse 17? We know in James chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, He who knows the right thing to do it and does not do it, to him it is, it is sin. So brethren, we know that, for example, paying taxes is part of our submitting to the government, isn't it? Sure, I bet you all of us would love not to have to pay our taxes, but we pay taxes because we submit to the government. Well, Jesus also had to pay the tax, right? Jesus paid the temple tax we read about in Matthew 17. He paid the drachma, the, 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 the drachma which was, uh, it was a half of Tyre, which was used to pay the tax. 
And every, a half a shekel tax was required of every male, every male, Jewish male, before uh, the Passover. And so you think about these things. I want to look at now right relationships when it comes to our neighbors. Because when it comes to neighbors, brethren, we should strive for right relationships according to God's standards. Think about that. Neighbors, I'm not talking about the person who lives to your right and to your left. I'm talking about the people of the world. God has, tell, has he tells us that we are to shine the light of Christ, to deal with those who are in the world as if we're dealing with Christ himself. Matthew chapter 25 speaks on this when God tells us that to, the least, to, to those that you did it of, even of the least of these brethren of mine, it's as if you did it to me. Right? When do we see you hungry and feed you? When do we see you naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick and visit you or in prison and come to you? Jesus says to the least of, this bro- of these brethren of mine that you did it to, it's as if you did it to me. But those who you didn't do it to, those who you didn't show favor to, it's as if you, it's as if you rejected me yourself. And so, br- brethren, too often times in the world, mankind often makes relationships through quid pro quo. You guys remember this from the last election cycle, right? It's one of the first times I've heard the term often used, quid pro quo. Well, what does it mean? It means that it's a favor, advantage, or granted, a favor or advantage that's granted or expected in return for something. How many of our relationships are governed by quid pro quo, right? We give because we expect something in return. We give advantage or we show something, uh, we give something so that way we can get something in return. But God makes relationships with selfless giving. God wants Christians to have relationships with his neighbor, with the world, with selfless giving. We owe it to one another to do what? To love one another, to forgive one another, as Christ is our ultimate example. Did not Christ give all when he was in his three year earthly ministry? Did not Christ love all that, that came to him? When, when lepers would have came to those, right, those who had leprosy, when they came to Jesus, Jesus would put hands on them. He would heal them where most people would run away from them. We know that Jesus, when people that, that, that the world would often have disdain towards, Jesus welcomed them in his love. Think about Matthew, the tax collector. Do you think Matthew was well-liked amongst the brethren? Do you think uh, Matthew was well-liked amongst those in society? Absolutely not. They hated the tax collectors. What about Zacchaeus? Right? What about the Samaritan woman at the well? What about Mary Magdalene? When the, word, the world oftentimes offered disdain towards those same individuals, but Christ showed them love. He showed them grace. He showed them mercy. He showed them forgiveness. And so simply put, we love because God first loved us, is what we learn in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. God selflessly gave of His Son. Why? So that we may have an opportunity at salvation. That's why earlier I said God's done His part. Now it's time for us to do our parts. Brethren, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. He sent His Son to be a payment. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, we learn in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Brothers and sisters, when we maintain relationships with our neighbors, we fulfill God's law. Think about that. By seeking to love our neighbors, we won't seek to harm or covet their goods. By seeking to love our neighbors, we will not act selfishly, but look for opportunities to serve them. Look for opportunities and ways that we can help them in all the, in all the ways and needs that they have. 
Brethren, doing these things, we fulfill the law of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, it says we are to bear the burdens, or, uh, bear each other's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. But before I close this lesson down, I would be remiss, brethren, if I didn't mention our relationship with Christ. We've looked at it in regards to righteousness and our relationship with the government and our relationship with our, the neighbors, meaning those people of the world. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our relationship with Christ. Brothers and sisters, if your faith is, has been lukewarm, now is the time for change. Now is the time to make sure that you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Now is the time to make Jesus and to put Jesus on the throne of your life because salvation is, 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 is as close as today. What do I mean that salvation is as close today? The scriptures tell us that night, the night is not far spent and the day is at hand. Listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say on the screen behind me when he wrote to the people of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 6, and verse 1 and 2, notice what Paul said. And working together with him, we also urge you, brethren, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. But what does he say? But behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Brethren, what is the Apostle Paul telling us? The Apostle Paul is telling us that it's time to cast off the works of the world to cast off the works of darkness, to cast off the works of sinfulness. The Apostle Paul is telling us that it's time to turn away from re uh, reveling. Well, what in the world is reveling? Reveling is a word that we don't use too often in our modern vernacular. Reveling simply means worldly parties. Cast off worldly parties in where sin reigns. If you know that you got a group of co-workers that are going out and they're going to party it up and they're going to be drinking and cursing and, and doing all manner of worldliness, do you need to attend such a party? Are you really going to be able to plant a seed amongst a bunch of drunks? And so we need to make sure that we turn away from reveling. We turn away from worldly parties where sin is going to reign. Brethren, we need to make sure that drunkenness has no part in us. Drunkenness should never have a part in a Christian. For we know that no drunkard is going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus tells us in the scriptures. We need, know, we know that we, are, we need to make sure that shacking up is remedied. What do I mean that shacking up needs to be remedied? Brethren, how many people do you know who live together outside of marriage? How many people do you know that are shacking up, who are living together outside of a marriage covenant, for the express purpose to have all the benefits of the relationship, sex included, but they're not willing to commit to a long-term relationship. They're not willing to commit in the eyes of God and to be married. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you guys haven't read it in a while, you might want to read verse 9 through 11. It says, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, homosexuals, revilers, I, uh, and the list goes on and on. It says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if we have friends and family members, if you're in here today and you're shacking up with somebody, brethren, that needs to be remedied. That's called repentance. You've got to turn away from that because it, 1 Corinthians 6 says, do not be deceived. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you think about all the ways that we have to turn away from worldliness. We have to turn away from sinfulness and darkness. We have to turn away from shamelessness. We have to turn away from overindulgence. How many sermons do you ever hear on gluttony? 
I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on gluttony. But guess what? We need to turn away from overindulgence. What about laziness? What about addictions? You see, shamelessness, overindulgence, gluttony, uh, laziness, addictions, these are things that must be turned away from. Why? Because they're worldly. They're sinful in nature. We have to turn away from strife. We have to make sure that we turn away from uncontrolled arguments. What do I mean by uncontrolled arguments? An argument to where you lose control. What is one of the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. You can't have the fruit of the Spirit self-control if you're out of control. If you're, not will, if you're not able to control your heart and your mind. If you're not able to control your tongue. How many marriages uh, are in trouble because they spew venom at one another? And that they're constantly uh, de degrading one another. Constantly arguing with one another. Constantly tearing each other down. Brethren, these things ought not to happen for they are worldly things. And so you could see when that, as we think about our relationship with Christ, you can't have a righteous, holy relationship with God. You can't maintain your relationship with God if you're doing the things that I've listed here. You, if you're involved in worldly parties where sin reigns, if you're involved in drunkenness, if you're involved in shacking up, if you don't have control over your tongues, if you're involved in over, overindulgence, laziness and addictions. Brethren, we need to turn away from strife, but we also need to turn away from jealousy and envy. How many times do we know, how many people do we know who are jealous? How many people do we know who are envious? How many people do we know who covet their, their neighbor's goods, who covet their neighbor's people? The Apostle Paul says, I would not have known it was a sin to covet if the Lord said, thou shalt not covet. And so, brethren, this all goes back to, as I talked about in Bible study this morning, that we transform our minds with the Word of God, and only through the transformation of our minds can one be found blameless before God, can one be called righteous. Brothers and sisters, instead, we need to put on the armor of light. We need to walk becomingly. What does it mean to walk becomingly? As those who follow Christ and do not make sin a way of life. If you wish to walk uh, becomingly, if you wish to become blameless or righteous in the sight of Lord, you need to follow Jesus Christ. You need to believe, you need to trust, and you need to obey. And you need to make sure that sin is not a regular part of your life. You need to make sure that you're not living in sin, walking in sin. Because it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that if you do so, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. And that, that's, even if you've been baptized, then that puts you outside of the body of Christ. When you, when you willfully sin and you don't turn away from sin. Brethren, we need to live our lives as open and transparent. We need to live our lives as honest and sincere to truly put on the armor of light. To truly walk in the expectations of the Lord. And we need to make sure, brethren, that we do not make provisions for the flesh. We do not make provisions for temptation to obey or to fulfill its lustly desires. And brethren, lastly, we need to abstain from every form of evil. We know this because the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians gives us this instruction. James tells us that, brethren, that anything uh, for him who knows the right thing to do but does not do it, it is sin. And we know that in 1 Thessalonians in chapter uh, where was it? Chapter 5, verse 22. That we're to abstain from every form of sin. Every form of ungodliness. So brothers and sisters, as I get ready to close this lesson down, maintaining your relationship with 
Christ is going to strengthen your relationship with your neighbors, with your family, with your co-workers, with the government, with the, 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 with the country in which you reside. Having a right relationship with God will strengthen every aspect of your life. It'll strengthen your children. It'll strengthen your marriage. It'll strengthen your work ethic. It'll strengthen literally every aspect of your life. And so who you are in the Lord will impact your relationships. But alternately, who you are with others reveals who you are in the Lord. Who you are with others and how you conduct yourselves will reveal your relationship with God. Why do I say that? Have you ever heard the idea that a lot of people like to live with one foot, one foot in the church and one foot in the world? Jesus calls that lukewarm. Jesus says, you literally make me sick. If that is you, Jesus says, I wish you were on fire for me. I, or I wish you would just flat out reject me. But because you try to please the world and you try to please uh, God at the same time, he says, you literally make me sick. He says, you disgust me. Revelations chapter 2, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, are you characterized as an encourager? Do you regularly uh, seek the comfort others? Are you regularly seeking to comfort others? Are you involved in the lives of others? Do you have authentic affection for those people in your lives, for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, for your neighbor? Are you sympathetic towards the needs of those around you? You see, brethren, these are just a few questions you could ask yourself to see if you're really walking rightly before God, righteously before God, or are you walking in the world? If your answers are that, you, that you're not sympathetic, that you're not an encourager, that you're not involved in the lives of others, that you don't show affection to others, and that you're not sympathetic, brethren, then you're not walking in the ways of the Lord. Because Jesus did every one of those things. Jesus went out of his way to give comfort, to show love, to give hope, to give grace and mercy to those that most of the people of his day had great disdain for. And so as children of God, if you wish to have righteous relationships, let Jesus be your guide. Let Jesus be your example. For the righteousness of God means maintaining good relationships with with the world, with the government, with your neighbor, and with Christ. If you're hearing this message today, brethren, and you're not a child of God, and you wish to become a child of God, then brethren, let us, let us know that. You could come forward as we stand, to sing, stand and sing the song of invitation. You could come forward and you could let us know that your desire to become a child of God. You could be baptized for the remission of your sins. You could have your sins washed away. The Holy Spirit will be given to you as a gift. God himself will pick you up and add you to the kingdom. But maybe you're here today and you've got a heavy heart. Maybe you know you haven't been living for God, but your desire is to live for God and to put on Christ, right? Or to be reconciled back to God, reconciled back to the church. And you can do that as well. And you can ask to, uh, the, the elders of the congregation to pray with you. But maybe you're here today and you just don't have a whole lot of understanding as to what Christianity is. Maybe you wish to know more about Jesus Christ. Maybe you wish to know more about the plan of salvation. Brethren, we will help you with that. We will study with you. If only you will let, it, let us be knowing that that is your need. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.